G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. An important conversation coming ahead over this next hour. I hope you can stick around. As I often say, keep at least one ear glued to the conversation. And your opportunity to participate in the conversation uh, with an insight or a question that you might have. Overseas, experts in areas of law, education and public policy were recently asked a question. What would be the biggest issue that would be the most prominent in 2018 in the United States? And the most common answer revolved around same-sex marriage and the consequences that extend to a society after the definition of marriage is changed. And the flow-on effects, of course, are being felt, with academics predicting that the biggest issues to face the courts this year will all have an LGBT element to them. So what about these sorts of issues in Australia, given that the definition of marriage has changed in Australia? And as you may know, there is an opportunity. People are making submissions to the review of freedoms that's being held by the former Minister Philip Ruddock. It's called like the Ruddock Freedoms Review. And there is a whole lot of different groups right around Australia who are making submissions, whether it's from church leaders or individuals like yourself, who can call for what sort of ways that legislators might look to balance and Uh, make legislation about the freedoms that we have in Australia, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Now, there is a closing date for those submissions. It's been pushed back. In fact, it was going to be tomorrow, but it's been pushed back to mid-February. So let's talk through some freedoms issues today. It, as I say, will be an important conversation ahead for getting an idea what is at stake and what can be done or what should be done when it comes to freedoms in Australia. Michael Kellahan leads an organisation called Freedom for Faith, a Christian legal think tank that exists to see religious freedom protected and promoted in Australia. And I want to make a special welcome, Michael Kellahan. Welcome to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Pleasure to be with you. Michael, a lot of people won't be very familiar with Freedom for Faith. Let's talk about your organisation for a few moments. I called it a legal think tank. I think that's the sort of terminology that gets bandied around a little bit. How do you describe Freedom for Faith? Yeah, that's not bad. We're a Christian uh, think tank, so a bunch of uh, Christian leaders drawn from the church leadership, from legal and political spheres, who've got a common concern, really, for religious freedom. So we try and do good thinking that can be applied uh, for, you know, so that governments who really don't have time to think these things out well or won't necessarily see all the implications of the kind of uh, changes to the law, we, we can say to them, look, 
this is the concern that, that faith groups will have. These are the things that you haven't seen in terms of how it might impact on the churches, and, and this might be a better way forward. Interesting to talk about what's coming with the Ruddock Review, and I know that submissions are going to be due uh, later in the month in February, about 14th, I think it is, of February, That's isn't right. it? But, uh, but as you say, when people are doing those sorts of reviews, they don't always have all the time in the world to do the research themselves and they rely on the submissions that are coming from church leaders and from think tanks like yours and those think tanks make a huge impact on the way that the outcomes might uh, might happen with a review like this. Yeah, there's really two types of significant input I think that come. One is the kind of stuff we're doing which we're trying to do the leading kind of you know thinking that will that will help uh them shape policy and shape legislation and so on. But the other thing which is just as vital, if not more so, is just the grassroots experience of uh, this is what uh, we're seeing on the ground. This is what it's like in my school. This is what it's like at my workplace. These are the issues now facing us that we haven't seen before. So the government kind of needs to be persuaded that um, this is a real problem that needs solving. So we need lots of submissions that kind of say, yep, this is a real problem and here's real evidence that, that shows that at a local level, simple letter that explains that. But then we also need to kind of go in and say, and here is a, here is a way that those problems can be addressed, which is fair and reasonable and works for everyone and isn't just kind of special pleading for Christians. Uh, let me ask you about some important foundations here, Michael, because it strikes me that, generally speaking, and listeners might like to contribute on this level, generally speaking, Christian believers who've had it very good for a long time, we've experienced some wonderful freedom as Christians, uh, but there is a certain sense in which some are saying, uh, what's the importance here? I don't feel as though at this point in time I'm being threatened, uh, but there are tremendous threats to religious freedom, and that involves not just the leaders of churches and what they do in the four walls of their church, but it involves every Christian believer and what they think and what they say and how they behave. How do you describe the importance of people actually taking seriously this issue of freedom? Well, first, I think you're absolutely right to say that uh, some some see this as a first-order issue and others just don't see it at all. There, there is a real gap, and I think that gap speaks to some of the polarisation we see in society where people uh, of faith can sometimes be in a bit of a bubble and people without it can be in another bubble and sometimes they're not meeting. And so there's just blank incomprehension sometimes when you talk to senior um, people in Canberra on this very issue. They say, we just don't see those issues arising in Australia. It's not dominating the court scene here. We don't, we don't you know, they would think... You know, this sounds like a beat-up. It sounds as though you're driving up fear and uh, it's not legitimate. And at the same time, you've got others who say, you know, we used to have no problem at all uh, in getting access to meet in this public school or on this campus or within the workplace to do these things, and that's completely changed at a speed and scale that we just can't believe. So two very different uh, takes on what's actually going on on the ground. Um, and uh, a very important conversation for us to have to show that this isn't a beat-up, this isn't us uh, being alarmist. Uh, 
but nor is it kind of being naive about some of the challenges which are there uh, in front of us. In my introduction, I was reflecting on what's happening in the United States, uh, the suggestion that experts in law and education and public policy ask that question, what's going to be the most prominent 2018 issue in the States? And, and the common answer, same-sex marriage and the consequences that extend to a society after the definition of marriage is changed. How significant is it that when we talk about these freedoms, we're connecting it to the marriage debate from last year? Because this is bigger than the marriage debate, isn't it? How do you reflect on what's important and what causes this crisis that we're moving into? Yeah, I think marriage debate certainly exposed what's a deeper issue, Uh, a, a deeper issue about a society where there isn't a kind of clear, agreed set of values and where people with very different beliefs are living side by side and finding it hard to uh, know how to negotiate that difference. So how do you deal with people now whose views on marriage haven't changed, even though the law has? And and so, yes, in, in the States at the moment, you're seeing that in the Supreme Court. In Canada, you're seeing it in the Supreme Court, even though the change there took place much earlier. Uh, and it will look different here. It will look different in Australia. Uh, we'll have a particular Australian uh, colour. Uh, but the, the underlying issue is is the same. How do you how do you live alongside people with very different beliefs? How does the how does the law govern that? How does culture decide kind of what's acceptable and 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 what's isn't what isn't? So we in the marriage debate we saw people say this is the equivalent of. Uh, the 1960s civil rights movement around race. Um, it's that kind of moment. Uh, this has all been done in the name of justice. This pr- produces uh, good for society. Now, the natural consequence of that way of thinking is that those who don't come on board are stuck in the past, a part of the problem, or for injustice, and need to be stopped. Uh, so we won't allow that kind of teaching to take place in this school or uh, we, we won't allow people the freedom uh, to speak a different vision of um, what sex and marriage should look like just as we wouldn't allow people to uh, speak something offensive about race. We're glad for that change. We, we want to see it now kind of hardened up by the law. So I think that that is the kind of... Um, mindset that's going to produce legal challenges. We, we're, we're just, you know, we'll wait and see what they look like at, at, a, at a local level, but we should definitely expect them. And it's interesting that most people tend to think of those who are going to be affected most by those uh, times when people are outspoken and being then dragged before the courts uh, as being the, uh, you know, the florist or the baker and uh, those sorts of issues that were connected with the marriage debate. But but you take it to a whole new different level when you talk about schools, about the education process, because we're talking about parents here and we're talking about school teachers. We're talking about people who will be at risk if they don't toe the line and do what the state says they must say. Is that the seriousness of it all? It goes to a much, much deeper level than, than the, the usual debate goes? Sure. And uh, and I think we're teachers in some postcodes are already experiencing that kind of tension, that, that pressure not to, not to speak and to privatise the faith, I think, uh, to think that the, the things um, which 
you know, are believed and no longer just out of step with cultural elites, but may, you know, now be seen as out of step with the law as well. So what does that do to, to um, the employment situation? And with it, you know, you could go beyond that to, to think uh, in terms of funding as well. So uh, we should expect this to have implications in terms of, um, you know, funding and, and taxation. And that. that that's not to say that that's all happening now, but you only need to look at the kind of things which are which are being put onto the agenda of um, both major parties and, and certainly the you know the Greens and, and others to say there are a lot of people now who are, who are starting to say that a uh, a secular a hard kind of secular push is a good thing uh, that um, will express itself in in much more than just you know an odd cake maker or something like that, but but uh, in the place of faith. In, in the public square at all. So you've got this hard secular push, and as you say, that results in a privatising of your faith. You are now compelled not to say the things that you believe, but only to reflect those things that you are told to say. Now, when this comes down to it, uh, I know that in your organisation, you would see that when the state controls someone's conscience, then the state gets to control everything. So this is where we're actually in the middle of this battle, isn't it? We don't want our conscience to be under the control of the state. And anyone who thinks that this is a good thing, that there's a clamp down on the Christian church, actually sells their own freedom uh, down the creek. Is that the way it works? Yeah, and and it happens well before laws are passed. So there's a cultural movement which is taking place as well. So we saw it, for instance, in the debates over euthanasia in uh, Victoria and in New South Wales where Catholic MPs were told um, they needed to disqualify themselves, that they were conflicted uh, and unable to take place, uh, to take part in a, in a public debate because of their religious beliefs. In other words, you can't bring your religious beliefs outside of the church and into the parliament. You can't have that set of beliefs. It's all right to have another set of beliefs, uh, but you can't have that set of beliefs. So that's um, uh, that creates a problem for us as a society because it's really then the state deciding, you know, we'll have these hard secular beliefs as, as supposedly neutral, which they're not, uh, and we'll discount other voices. Now, if you think about the way that Christians and other faith groups through the years have been able to speak into a whole range of issues from... You know, from Manus Island um, through to aid, uh, through to, you know, moral issues where uh, people of faith may well have a voice, which is different from the prevailing culture. It's a good thing that they do. It's a good thing that that is brought into the mix. Now, I'm not saying they should have a privileged position and it must be a Catholic parliament or something like that. But we're instead we're saying people shouldn't be excluded, whatever their beliefs, uh, from being able to speak. Um, that means we need to have the freedom for people to have ideas which others find awful uh, in the public square uh, and to debate them. So what we're really pushing for is old-style, classic, you know, liberal, secular democracy. So Christians have done a, a lot, actually, to allow for that, that toleration and that space uh, for people to dissent. And I, I think we're going to have to find 
that kind of language again, uh, but to speak it in a very Australian accent. <laughs> so not just the import stuff from overseas, but to say, this is a growing issue. And, and in doing that, we can actually help the country and not, not just be seen to just be helping ourselves. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. An important conversation if you're wondering just how significant, how important the issue of freedom, and I'm talking about freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, how important are these in our Australian society, and is that something that you would get involved in the game if you saw it was really important and we were about to lose incredible freedoms that we have experienced in Australia. Michael Callahan is our guest. He leads Freedom for Faith, a Christian legal think tank, uh, talking through issues on freedom today, you might like to join our conversation on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Michael, let's talk about the Ruddock inquiry for a few moments because uh, listeners will be aware that uh, when the time of the same-sex marriage uh, vote was was had, uh, that the prime minister put off. Uh, making any sort of uh, allowances for religious freedoms in the legislation and put it in the hands of a review uh, by Philip Ruddock. And uh, that review is meeting uh, even now, I imagine, and reporting sometime in the next month or two. Uh, what's the context for this Ruddock inquiry and how important is it that, uh, that we not be uh, head in the sand and ignore these things that are going on right now? Yeah, it is. A, it's a very tight time frame. So, 31st of March, they'll report back, and uh, so they're going to have to produce something very quickly. They only announced the terms of it on, I think it was the 14th of uh, December, and so just as the country is switching down, and every uh, church leader in the country was um, uh, getting Christmas sermons ready, and then taking a well-earned break. Uh, a lot of work had to be done. So we, we actually changed our summer plans and Professor Patrick Parkinson, who's a Sydney Uni uh, law professor, um, well-respected and, and member of our board, uh, he really um, gave a Christmas in the year to, to writing uh, this. So uh, the quality of the of the the work that the panel does, I think is going to be as... Um, good as the quality of the submissions made to it because the time frame was that tight. So we, we thought it was really worth investing a huge amount of time into um, producing something good uh, for it. That would be you know, a blessing to other uh, churches as well to be able to consider their position uh, and respond. So as people have kind of come back from summer breaks and realised that this submission is, is you know, closing soon, We've been contacted by lots and lots of people um, just wanting to help kind of think through uh, how they might position their organisation and uh, what they might be able to do. But as I said right at the top, like at a grassroots level, now is the time uh, for submissions to go in. As of last week, they had over 1,500 submissions that had been received, many of them form letters, many of them really arguing against uh, religious freedom, arguing you know, freedom from religion. Uh, and uh, uh, so that, you know, the time is now really to be able to uh, put something in. 
What I can hear you saying is the early groundswell, uh, that is, this uh, submissions that are going into the Ruddock Review are likely coming from the other side, arguing against religious freedoms and, as you say, form letters, uh, but somebody's organising a crowd behind the scenes to get those submissions in. Let me ask you about quality and quantity here because uh, while we talk about quality submissions and you mentioned Professor Patrick Parkinson and uh, doing some work on a submission uh, that will be a quality submission, what about the quantity idea? Uh, I mean, from people listening to our conversation today, uh, for them to make a, a submission, perhaps a simple one-page submission, doesn't have to contain a lot of detail, but the quantity is just as important as the quality here, I imagine. Uh, yes, and um, and don't hear me talking down quality of, of those one-page things either, because it, it, what will really resonate with uh, many uh, uh, politicians, if we get beyond the panel and into Parliament actually looking at it is is the fact that oh, I do have these local constituents who are saying to me this this happened to me. Uh, that's evidence that's not in our not in the Freedom for Faith submission much. Like it really does depend on grassroots, honest local stories being told. Not I fear this might happen one day or this happened in Canada, but you know this happened in uh, Wagga, in, in Gympie, you know, in, in Derby. We're, we're seeing these things take place because we, we have had for a long time remarkable freedoms uh, and very little laws. So if the culture is shifting and, and you're conscious of that, then here's a chance really to, to say, I am seeing these changes and the law may need to, to shift to protect it. Now, you don't need to be an expert in the law to say, here's what the law should look like, but you can be the world's best expert on what it's like being, you know, a scripture teacher in Gympie or what what it's like finding it hard in your workplace as a, as a teacher to even raise some of this stuff. So that, those kind of things are just tremendously helpful. And for people who are wondering what to put in their submission, uh, obviously I'll point people to the Freedom for Faith website, but other organisations that have been involved uh, in the uh, the marriage debate uh, last year, they'll all be continuing on and they'll also have points that people can include in their submissions. Some of those will be common, uh, some will be more detailed than others, but uh, there's certainly all those Christian organisations, you'll find great detail on their websites. Let's take a, a quick call or two. Let's hear from... Stephen in Parks in New South Wales. Hello, Stephen. Welcome along. Yeah, good day, uh, Brother Neil and Brother Michael. How are you both? And God bless you. Very well. What are your thoughts, Stephen? Look, I've got a question. Um, two questions, actually. The first one being, and I hope this even reaches our Prime Minister and to the US, uh, the <coughs> great President of the United States, uh, President Donald Trump, uh, and even the Canadian Prime Minister. Uh, millions of servicemen and women sacrificed their lives and came back with horrible wounds after the First and Second World Wars and even wars up to the present date. What I want to know is, do our leaders believe in what was called at that time during the uh, World War II, FDR's Four Freedoms? Uh, I think it was freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from fear and freedom from want. And if you go on... American artist Norman Rockwell uh, website, uh, it's the Norman Rockwell Online Museum, you'll see the Four Freedoms, which he painted beautifully. Uh, he was under commission of FDR. 
All right. Now, what's happened to those four freedoms? And my second question, and this goes to the very heart of the loss of our freedoms, and this is a very difficult question for somebody like me to have to ask of our own state and federal governments, and this was asked, this question was asked at the height of the House on Un-American Activities Commission, known as HUAC, by Senator Joseph McCarthy. Uh, Mike, Mike, and this leads me into my second question. Yep, get to How the point quickly, Stephen. How many godless communists have we got in our state and federal parliaments right now? Okay, Stephen, let's get a response, and uh, only about a minute and a half out from news. Uh, your response for Stephen, Michael. Uh, look, on the communist front, I'm not sure. I know New South Wales Greens have a history they're not too uh, proud of on that front. But on the other question, on, on freedoms, yeah, that that's really significant, actually. What happened after the Second World War, there's a new international conversation that takes place around freedom post the Holocaust. Um, all the countries of the world to get together with a significant Australian leadership saying this must never happen again. And uh, we sign up for international treaties that recognise human rights, including religious freedom being one of the most significant ones. And we, 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 um, we need to think how, to, how does that, that commitment, which we must never take for granted, actually now find expression in the challenges before us. Okay, thank you so much to Stephen from Parks. Great input today and we'll continue to take calls after Vision National News. Our talkback line will be open on 1-800-316-316. Michael Callaghan, let me ask you, before we take some more calls, uh, the issues of freedom in Australia and people will think, oh, don't we have wonderful protections for our freedoms? Uh, But this is not necessarily the case, is it? We don't have strong protections for freedoms in Australia. We don't, have, we don't have strong legal protections, uh, so there's not much law that, that protects us. Culturally, sure, we have. But just listening to the news uh, before we came on, the uh, terrible stories coming out of Pakistan and, and people facing capital sentences for you know speaking the faith. Um, we're not, we're, by global standards, uh, you know, we're in a wonderful situation, but but we're there not because of the laws, uh, but because of the culture. So in terms of law, there's not much that um, protects religious freedom. It has largely been taken for granted. It has largely not been an issue. Um, that's, that's clear. Okay, before we get into baffling everybody with a lot of legal jargon, uh, let me ask you about uh, the laws that do exist in Australia, because as I understand it, there is a section in the Constitution, Section 116, which is fairly prominent and very strong. And of course, uh, you might know what's strong and what's uh, vulnerabilities in there. But what do you think of uh, Section 116 in the Constitution? And are we likely to hear lots more about this? Uh, yeah, so certainly those who are, who are saying uh, do nothing all is well are going to say Section 116 does the job. Um, but at a at the most basic level, Section 116 only operates to bind the Commonwealth, not any of the states, possibly not the territories as well. So uh, it, it's not a problem for a state to make laws against a particular religion. Um, that wouldn't be stopped by our constitution. Um, the, the Commonwealth has that um, restriction on it. It can't make laws to you know, establish a particular religion. So we can't have you know, the Anglican Church being like the Church of England in England. That we're not going to be like that. They can't um, uh, require people to you know, do certain religious things. They can't have a religious test for office. Uh, but that's it. Um, so it, it, it's barely made it to the courts. So it hasn't been considered 
much because it hasn't been used uh, a, a lot. Other than that, um, beyond the constitution, it's mostly uh, religious freedom just comes up in the context of anti-discrimination where um, it's given almost like a kind of grudging concession to uh, religious groups or, or people to be able to act in ways that otherwise would be considered discriminatory. Okay, let's talk some more about how the law works here because I think you've put your finger on uh, what is one of the biggest issues our nation is facing and you say that even though the Constitution has this overriding idea about freedom, the states do their own thing. So even though the Commonwealth might have a law that says we're free and uh, free to do what you want to do insofar as uh, some limitations on uh, being a religious person and not talking just about Christianity here but uh, other world religions as well but but the difference is the states are making their own laws and it depends on who's in power at the time as to how they'll challenge and how they'll make their own laws uh, how the courts and how anti-discrimination tribunals will respond when there are complaints made is that the case yeah that's right so you so the effect of that is you get a patchwork of um, laws through the country that say different things and um, that protect uh, certain things so you know some under some state laws um, religious freedom is kind of protected and in other jurisdictions it's not as much uh, it's one of the beautiful features in some ways of the Australian legal system is that uh, it's very inefficient so you don't have a, a system where one government can come in and change the law across the whole country very easily you know, because we do have Commonwealth and states, it's hard to bring radical social change through law at a national level. But at a state level, the flip side of that is at a state level, you can see changes come through quickly. Um, and particularly in the states which don't have an upper house uh, that might review it. So something that is just a government policy can very quickly um, become a, a law of the state. Um, so uh, give us a little breakdown on what you understand about the states uh, listeners all around Australia to our conversation today uh, you mentioned states that don't have an upper house and I'm thinking of Queensland uh, what other states uh, how do they uh, respond in this area of, of this sort of uh, legislation well a good example at the moment is, is Northern Territory actually if we go to territories rather than states but they are doing, uh, they've put a paper out at the moment on the modernisation of anti-discrimination uh, laws up there. And they don't have a, there's no kind of upper house review there. And at the moment, it's just a policy being put out as, you know, for comments. But that, this is how laws are made. They put exposure drafts out and then it goes into the uh, into law later. Uh, but it would just do away with most um, most of the protections that, the, uh, the the churches and and uh, faith-based welfare agencies and schools rely on up there. So if it was accepted, you, you wouldn't very easily be able to employ or, or preference, uh, you know, Christian staff uh, in, in an organisation. So you want to run a Christian school? Well, you'll need to establish uh, and get permission for a particular role to be held by a Christian. You know, you need to to uh, have um, kind of state permission for for that uh, to take place, and you might expect that for a, perhaps a you know a principal or a chaplain. But beyond that, um, 
that won't happen. Now, you know, that, that will be out of step with how a lot of faith-based schools would choose to operate um, or, or um, you know, welfare agencies. And one of the problems here is that, you know, if, if religion, religious freedom is seen so narrowly that it's just protecting what takes place on a Sunday morning and just inside someone's private beliefs, it fails to appreciate just how big uh, faith is in forming people's identity and in in creating schools and welfare agencies and all kinds of good that, that's done. And, and a lot of that does depend on people having the freedom to um, employ according to their beliefs and what, they, what the mission of the organisation is. You do set us straight on a whole lot of issues there, very important issues. Uh, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316, uh, also comments on Facebook. Let me reflect uh, some comments that have come through from Eileen on Facebook who says, I fear we're heading towards Canada and the USA where Christianity is being ridiculed by the LGBT community. Seems to me there is an agenda that is worldwide. Another comment on Facebook, Hannah says she wants the freedom to have an option. And Caroline says, I'm frightened by what's happening. I'm, I put my faith, I, I must put my trust in God to deal with this. We're taking calls. Let's hear from Mary in South Australia. Hello, Mary. Welcome along. Mary, are you with us? Mary, you might like to call us back. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Shelby in Sunnybank in Queensland. Hello, Shelby. Good, good morning, Neil, Michael. Yeah, mate, um, I, uh, I did have a question, but I think you covered it when you said the um, Coalition for Marriage, that, that group of people were, uh, uh, were still in amongst um, all those uh, submissions. But I, I can con- continue on to one other one. Um, it worries me um, in the area um, of uh, TV advertising and um, the freedoms that um, we're seeing now with... Um, Kissing and hugging, and even in, even at the six o'clock news, um, and that really worries me. That you know we have to be subjected to that sort of thing, um, and um, I just wonder whether there's been any great submissions put up on that type of thing. I know there was a, a thing with the TV um, uh, censoring, and they censored an ad that was the complete copy of the say school thing can be shown to children in school but can't be put on 6 o'clock news. Um, so my question There were is, some issues like that. Shelby, I'll get a, a comment from Michael. Michael, do you have some thoughts for Shelby? I, I haven't seen anything that particularly picks up that uh, censorship licensing broadcasting kind of issue. But, yeah, it's certainly... Uh, I, I, I hear the concern from Shelby, yeah. Okay, Shelby, thanks so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation today. Our special guest is Michael Kellahan. He leads Freedom for Faith. It's a Christian legal think tank that exists to see religious freedom protected and promoted in Australia. Looking into some of the deeper issues today, let's take a call from David in Ballina in New South Wales. Hello, David. Welcome along. Hi, Neil, and uh, hi, Michael. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you today. What are your thoughts, David? Oh, look, I, um, I was stood down, actually, from a radio-presenting position uh, just before the plebiscite last year. Um, I presented a, a show which really wasn't uh, surrounded by any sort of religious overtones, but I did happen to mention at the closing of my show one time that uh, if you weren't quite sure which way you should vote, just vote no. Um, there was a, a community outcry, apparently, to the point where I was basically uh, removed from my position. 
Okay, you are a living illustration of the danger that is ahead this coming year if there is no uh, way that uh, freedoms are enforced in Australia. And uh, Michael Callahan, I imagine that this is a story that's becoming quite common. There are people like David, but what are your thoughts for David? Uh, firstly, David, thanks for calling in, and I'd be interested to get your details offline if you could give them to the producer after. But uh, th- these are the kind of stories that we need to to hear that this is real, that this is happening at a local level. And really, as they make this review, it's a question about whether the law is going to protect um, a diversity of views so that David's able to say that, and so that an LGBT group might be able to say something else, or... Are we going to have the law enforce a kind of new secular orthodoxy which says you must only believe these things about sex and gender and marriage and everything else? Um, the, it, it forces the it will force the politicians out of a neutral spot. They actually need to say whether they're for diversity or not. Okay, David, I'm going to put you on hold and uh, we'll get your details and pass those on to Michael. Uh, let's take another call, another call from Ai Chi in Queensland. Hello, Ai Chi, welcome along. Hi, good afternoon, how are you? Very well, what are your thoughts? Good, um, I have thoughts with the freedom and rights and like that. Uh, it should be taught in the school for high school so that they have the basic knowledge what is freedom and what is rights and aside from that is the responsibility that if you have freedom if you have rights then you have responsibility to its other uh other individual other citizens and then i agree with that facebook said that there is a worldwide push on those things i know there's a deep state in every government and there's a shadow government in every government because all these people if I will mention all the religions, they are all the same. They are fundamentally the same, superficially they're fundam- they're superficially the same, but fundamentally different. They are all against the God of the Christian. And everywhere in the world, it's only the Christian being persecuted like this not other religion. Achi, I think you make a good point. Uh, Christians are the ones who are being singled out here and you make another very good point saying the freedoms that we're talking about today uh, need to be taught in the schools so that children are growing up with a sense of understanding what this freedom is all about. Your thoughts, Michael, for Achi? Yeah, look, I think vital that we think about the next generation and uh, see them understanding what civics is all about. We'd love to be writing a a course that could be used in um, in any school or in homeschooling, whatever the whatever the setting that does that kind of thing. Because some of the stuff we're talking about is so basic that it's been taken for granted for a long time, and we need to uh, uh, just be very careful that we don't lose something as as precious as the kind of freedoms that have allowed us to have, you know, differences and, and toleration uh, for a long time. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Great to have you along with us today as we're talking through issues of freedom. Michael Kellahan is our guest from Freedom Freedom for Faith and uh, running out of time to take calls, but let's take one more. Let's hear from Colin in Tintinara in South Australia. Hello, Colin. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Um, my comment or my question um, is this 
I uh, was a professional social worker and no longer one. I've uh, changed professions. But my concern is for those social workers, Christian social workers, who in all conscience cannot place children uh, for foster care, either short-term, medium, emergency foster care or long-term to adoption, cannot place children in same-sex marriages. And what would ha- what will happen to them uh, if there is no protection of freedom of conscience in this country when they uh, refuse to, to do that? Colin, a great comment and a real concern. Michael, your thoughts for Colin? We, yeah, it is a great uh, comment. We pick up that very issue uh, for individuals but also for organisations in our, in our submission and we say it is going to be a problem uh, and it's one that people just at the moment are absolutely absolutely exposed uh, legally around. Uh, it's around the world we've seen uh, many uh, Catholic adoption agencies close over this very issue where the state has kind of insisted that they hold a position which is at odds you know, with their beliefs, and we've also seen social workers in uh, uh, in an English university who have really been disqualified from practice because they they hold uh, a certain understanding of marriage, which um, you know must not be spoken. So, in professions like counselling, like social work, um, uh, and in Canada, uh, like law. We've seen professional bodies act against Christian members to say your beliefs, if spoken, are going to put you out of um, standing with the organisation. You're no longer fit to practice. So big issues. Colin, thank you so much for your call and another illustration of just how significant this issue of freedom is, religious freedom. Uh, Just to pick up on one of our callers who called through uh, Caroline, who mentioned that she was a little uh, frightened of what was happening going on, and that might be a way that she's just expressing, uh, you know, I have a fear about what's happening in Australia and following the rest of the world in this. Uh, She said, I must put my trust in God to deal with this. People who might be fearful of this, and there will be people who have got concerns because if you are like David or like Colin, who uh, who recognise that people on the front line are affected by this freedom issue right now, you could be concerned about your own job. How do you address this e- issue of being fearful about the things that are coming upon us, Michael? Well, I think the scriptures themselves address it, and um, they um, equip us to think how how to live. Uh, as followers of Jesus in exactly that situation. It's certainly been the experience of many people through history and many people through the through the world today that in the situation where the most understandable thing in the world would be to fear, that we are able to, to, to trust God, uh, to pray, to be as wise as we can in, in, in praying for our rulers and in, in putting the best counsel we can before them, but also to know that God is sovereign, that, that he is the, you know, the, the king of the universe, and that um, his kingdom will prevail, and that um, we can't we can't be people of fear. It's actually an opportunity for us to to uh, be light in the dark, uh, to witness to a better hope, um, and to give leadership, you know, to a country that's really struggling with these issues. Of how do we deal with diversity and differences, and, and struggling to know how to how to speak about that? We can um, we can be different, genuinely 
uh, Christian in the way that we offer um, hope uh, to people around us. Michael, for people who right now are saying, how can I be the light in the dark that you're talking about? Uh, it'll be by making a submission, and uh, the 14th of February is the submission date, uh, submissions being received in this Radic Freedom Review. When people go on the Freedom for Faith website, uh, there's some links there as to be as to how people can make it a submission? Yes, so if, if you go to freedomforfaith.org, .au and, and you search under Ruddock, you will see a number of things there, or, or to our Facebook page, uh, Freedom for Faith. Um, and uh, yeah. There, and just be, to be uh, clear, when you, when you find the link where you can make the submission, and uh, we were talking a little earlier about how much you need to write, and you were saying, you know, a little one-page submission, maybe even a paragraph or three, uh, might just be enough in there, and uh, you want to make it as much a quality submission as possible, but what sort of things do you think people might include very quickly? Uh, uh, who you are, why you're concerned, how you've experienced a, a challenge to freedoms, um, what you think should be done, and if you do have a chance to look at what we've done and, and say you like it, then just reference us. And so I like these kind of suggestions. Um, uh, but the, the key thing really is making it local and real and authentic and um, and copy it in to your local uh, MP as well because that'll feed through into, into their deliberations on this. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll throw up, actually, given some of the calls coming in, I, I might throw up a new post this afternoon Um on our Facebook page, uh, which picks up some of those, because it's a great question, and, and uh, we'd like to help. It's also worthy of comment that even listening to today's callers, uh, that this uh, attack against religious freedom is already biting. Don't have to wait for any special legislation. It's already biting. We've already heard some instances today, and I no doubt you'll be wanting to follow through some of those with those who have called through. But for listeners who are listening to our conversation now, you may know someone who's on the front line, who's vulnerable to losing their job because... They are simply a Christian. Well, you need to be a person who will perhaps rally some people around you and start to organise some submissions in your local church, in your local community, and get submissions into this Freedom Review. Let me give that website one more time where you can get some more detail about the sorts of things we're talking about today, freedomforfaith.org.au. Our special guest has been Michael Kellahan. He leads Freedom for Faith. It's a Christian legal think tank, and they've been working through a lot of very deep issues when it comes to uh, this Freedom Review, and you'll get some good tips and pointers when you go on to that website, freedomforfaith.org.au. That's where you'll also find the link where you can make your own submission to the Freedom Review. Uh, Michael Kellahan, great to get your insights. No doubt we'll be talking again before too long, and I look forward to that already. But thanks so much for sharing your heart and your knowledge with us today here on 2020. Oh, thank you. And, and to your callers, many thanks. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.